Hello and welcome back to the F24 podcast. My name is David and every couple of weeks or so I invite a creative over to my studio in North Acton to talk about their lives and interactions with London, culture and creativity. This week, Pavan from the UK hip-hop group Foreign Beggars. In October last year, Pavan and I were working out how to meet up, but things kept on coming up, you know, he had shows, I had meetings, whatever. And we kept rebooking until one day in early December when I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see a sleepy-faced Pavan head resting on some boxes in a car basically saying goodbye to the UK. I thought, I thought I'd leave it a bit, but I really wanted to know what had happened here. So I let it lie, and then we spoke. Foreign Beggars had dropped their last album, Matriarchy, and this meant his visa was done. He was heading back to Dubai. We chatted, it was a bit of a mindfuck, man. I've known Pavan for like 15 years, not properly, but you know, the in-stores, shared friends, jams, etc. Loving music, all the way from the iconic Asylum Speakers album. But you'd think I'd have known he was on a visa. I'm nosy like that. <laughs> Not that anyone needed to tell me, but I'm still, I'm nosy like that. Anyway, I wanted to know the full story, especially for the archive, because Pavan's done so much, Foreign Beggars have done so much. We booked a date, opened up Skype and got chatting. It's dope, honest, inspiring, and I now have a complete newfound respect for the beggars after having that chat. They worked fucking hard. This is part of Pavan's story and some of his interactions with London, culture and creativity. Enjoy, this is F24. Wicked brother, thank you. Yo, so good to have you on yes, this, man. That's good. So good to have you on yeah, this. Yeah, man. Good. And it was such mad timing. I've been meaning to holler, and um, yeah, you know, work happens and all that type of shit. And then the next minute, I know I holler at you, and then you're off. Yeah, man. Shit, shit was, uh, shit was all ending up. Like, yeah, when you got in touch, man, it was a bit of a mad time. We could have done it earlier, but. Yeah, the amount of running around I had to do before I left was just kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, you've been on my list for fucking ages, and um, it was just, yeah. Come on, man. I know, it's crazy, it's crazy. But look, we got it, and I tell you what, to be honest, what a fucking, what a story it's Yeah, I guess be. so. <laughs> I'm fully intrigued, man, I'm fully intrigued. <laughs> People are going to be bored and shit, yeah. Nah, no, no, cool, no. man. But look, so let's start at the beginning then, P, man. So Me, where are you from? I'm Indian, ah. I was born in Dubai. Okay. Um... My mom grew up in South India and in California. All right. And my dad was born in in because after the partition, where we're from in India is now in Pakistan. So yep. we're called Sindhis, like you have Gujaratis, Punjabis, yep. etc. We're we're from a province called Sindh, and Sindh is like where it is pretty much where Pakistan is now. So wow. after after the partition, most of the Hindus had to kind of mass migrate out of there. Yeah. Uh, my mom's family settled in South India. My dad's family moved to Libya, Armenia, and then my granddad settled in Lebanon. So my dad was born in Beirut. Fucking hell. So his first, yeah, so his first language is Arabic and then French, and then mad thing, the war broke out over there when he was about eight or nine, yeah. and, the par- and my grandparents, so like, we need to get these kids out, so they sent him to fucking school in Wales, huh? um, of all places on earth, so my dad went to school in Wales till he was like 18. What? And then business was kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... So business was kind of fucked in Lebanon after the whole war shit kicked off. Yeah. And then, um, so my so my granddad heard about this place called Dubai, so he moved over here, set up a business. And then when my dad left Wales, he came and joined my granddad over here in Dubai. Amazing. Now, the mad thing is, like, like if you go back, like, to the old country, yeah. my like, my... Uh, both my grandparents, they're kind of from the same area, from a similar community, so they knew of each other from way back when, you know? So so it's like, my mum's in San Francisco, she's like 19 years old, she's a fucking tearaway, basically. She's like fucking full-on full, full on rock and roll chick, fucking 
taking acid and all of that shit. And then <laughs> suddenly she's my grandma. My grandma's like, you got to meet this guy. And my mom's like, what? Yeah, why? So she was my mom was. Yeah, my mom mm. was like, all right, this is the last motherfucker I'm going to meet for you. Mm. And then she kind of met my dad, who's also a wavy Don. And then, Don. bam, they kind of fell in love. And then we out here, 1980. What's good? Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, yeah, it's man. it's a chippy story. That's a be- and it's great, great for you to know that story as well. That's amazing. That was lovely. Yeah, of course, man. And so born in Dubai. And then, so what, yeah. did you grow up there? I grew, grew up here till I was about 10. And then, yeah, my dad always had this thing in his head because he went to school in England when he was a kid. He was like, you're going to go to school in England. Right. So I was like, all right. So when I was 10, yeah. I moved, went to school in Canterbury. Uh-huh. And then, again, the fucking Gulf War broke out then. So my parents were like, all right, let's get the kids out of here. Yeah. So my younger brothers joined, joined me in Canterbury as well. They were only eight years old, man. And so what, what, was, so, it, what was it like in Dubai up to 10? <clears throat> I mean, what type of life are you living? What, like... I mean, this place was... This place was blessed, man. I mean, like, it was a really small place. Like, the, the house that we, we you know, the, the house that we've still got now, we've been living in since, like, 86, mm-hmm. which is kind of unheard of out here. Yeah. But, I mean, where, where I live now is in Jumeirah. This was, like, the end of town. Like, we moved, like, out of town to get, like, a big house because there yeah. was four kids and shit. But if you look outside my house, it was, like, sand tracks. There's, like, three houses here, and it was just desert wow. everywhere, you know? Wow. But, like, now... And now if you look outside my house, you can't see any sand anywhere. It's pure metropolis. And there's more metropolis behind, yeah. like, spanning, spanning, firm, spanning firm, miles yeah. and miles and miles and miles. Yeah, it's crazy. So, like, them days, it was cool, man. It was, like, it was, you know, it was quite... It was more, it was more of a community. It was more of a small place. And because, like, most of the people living here were expats, so it was, like... You know, yeah, it was just just mad international that's, mix of people. That's which quite was interesting, nice. man. That's quite interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I suppose just growing up around that, like, must, yeah. Must so, like, mad. I went to yeah. It was trippy as fuck, man. Because I mean, like, it's weird because we're obviously Indian. My dad's more Arabic than Indian. We're born in Dubai, but you don't get like a local citizenship. My mom's from San Francisco, so we grew up like little American kids. Yeah, and then we went to a British school. I see. And yeah, so it was yeah, it was, it was kind of mixed up. Man. And then like, my parents can only speak to each other in English. Um, yeah, go and on. then so moving over to the UK, what did you think of that? Had you been here? Yeah, yet? we've been or there quite you... a few times, man. It was it was fucking trippy to be honest with you, because like when we were like if you if you look at the eighties, right? Like you know we used to go because my mum was from San Francisco, so we used to go back there all the time because she was still young. She was like, get me the fuck out of here, you know? what I mean, I want to see my friends. I just want to do yeah, whatever she wanted to do. So like. Every time we went to the States, it was like, fucking, yo, there's Toys R Us, there's McDonald's, there's fucking yeah. Speed Racer on TV, Transformers bed sheets, Wrestling, you know, so it was everything. super like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? All of that shit, it was like, bang, put on the radio, listening to Motley Crue, fucking Michael Jackson, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, that was like, America was like super like, info, you know, entertainment, like glitzy kind of, but also for kids, it was just super fun over there, you know what I'm saying? You go to the States and it's just like, Definitely, man. they cater for fucking children. Whereas yeah, when we were in school, like my dad, my, my dad, yeah, so like my dad was kind of like the British guy and he was a bit more strict and fucking going to this British school in Dubai, it was like, you know, the, the teachers were really strict yeah. and fucking boring. I mean, it was, was like... A massive so expectation like came, in there. Yeah, yeah. So like when we came to, when we first moved to England, it was like, because we went to this fucking school, yeah. this like private school out, outside Canterbury in this place called Sturry. It was a fucking village, basically. <laughs> and uh, it was, bruv, it was like going, going back in time 100 years. Like the year that I got there was the year that... <laughs> 
Nah, bruv. Bro, bro. Like, I the year that I got it. there, that was the year that... Bro, it was the year they stopped caning people. Oh, yeah? shut up. And, like, in the... <laughs> bro, trust me. They, they just stopped caning motherfuckers, yeah? <laughs> bro, when we get... Bro, I get to this school, and it's winter time, but we were, like, the kids in the fourth form and below, we still had to wear shorts and, like, long grey socks with gar- garters, bruv. I know that shit. Garters, bruv. Yeah, I've seen them Remember when we got there, we had to get the school uniform, but we didn't buy the fucking green flash, right? So we just come from the States, so we had all these fresh, like, Air Maxes and Agassi fucking Nike joints and shit. Amazing. And the kids were taking the piss... The kids were taking the piss out of us for having nose creps, and they were all wearing fucking green flash. I love like, green flashes. Mean? You lot don't bruv. get it. Yeah, just saying, like, the whole life just kind of got flipped over. But it was, it was, kind, of, it was kind of mad because... Um, I think the most fucked up thing was because, like, it was still. I mean, I, I don't want to get into the whole racism conversation, but it was pretty, pretty peak. I mean, well, I was going to so ask. It could, I remember yeah, it could bruv, have been all roses, especially in the, the village. The, bro, see, the maddest thing is right because it was like you know they like prided themselves of being like posh school and all of this shit. But the thing is, like, uh, my surname is Mookie, right? right? So anytime a teacher wanted to like you know like hot me up or do something or something was going on, like they would shout my name instead of the other kids, but they would say Mucky which was kind of like carte blanche on, for the other bro. kids to be like borderline racist and shit. Yeah. Bruv, it was, it was peak it as fuck. And like, that type of, yeah. yeah, we see that in politics now. Exactly that same, same type of behaviour. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's yeah. like... Yeah. Now I hear like, I mean, to, So like... It must have been fucking But to not come I mean, as a... Bruv, as a 10-year-old, as a you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't clock that that's what's going on, no. but then, like, you feel it and you see it and you're like... But then it's coming from the teachers, so you've got nobody to turn to. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit mad. Well, you're also co- at all that age, Carri- you're confused, and you're like, hang on, the teacher's bro. saying it, so hang on, is it all right? Is this the right thing to do? Yeah, yeah no, bro, like I had, you know, like, fortunately we had our fucking morals and ethics in check by the time we got there, you know, yeah. just don't be a cunt. Good, good. You know? So, yeah, so, so brilliant. And then, as you, I think I just cut you off, but as you're probably about to say, it's all a learning curve, man. It's all an experience, you know. Definitely, I'll tell you, let me just... I'm, I'm, I'm just going to slip another little story in about them them years. Mm. So, like, basically, like, because it was so peak, so it was me and my brothers kind of had to really stick together in in them times. And your brothers are how and like, old? So how we much were younger, like, sorry? They're two years two younger years than younger. me, okay, so cool. they were eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were eight. I was ten. The maddest thing is, like, every morning we used to have to get up and go to church and sing hymns and psalms, and it was a super Christian affair, so that was new for us yeah. as well. Um but the maddest thing is, like, we, we got, as I said, like, we got brought up on fucking hard rock music by my mum, okay. you know? So, like, we were already in school. We had our little fucking Motley Crue and ACDC tapes and all of this Wish shit. It. And then, um, basically, every, every Saturday, we were allowed to go into town with a teacher to the tuck shop, yeah? Okay. And spend one pound, yeah? Right. And basically, after, after, after like, the <laughs> second week, like, we were, there, there was a nice teacher there, so we asked him... And we seen a Kerrang magazine with a fucking 10-inch on it. So we Ooh. asked the teacher, we're like, oh, is it okay if we put our money together and buy this? And he was like, yeah, yeah, you can buy it. So we bought that, hid it from all the other kids because they would have fucking ripped the shit out of us. Yeah. And then when we went back to, like, my, aunt, my aunt's house on the weekend, like, we knew she had a record player, so we just fucking oh my plugged God. it in. And then we plugged it in, and, like, that 10-inch was a Paradise Lost 10-inch, and it's the first time we ever heard death metal vocals. Wow. So from that point on, we were just, we were just hooked. So we were like super little fucking death metal geeks and like literally like napalm death deicide and morbid angel so what, what was it suffocation though? we were did you know what kerrang was when you bought it did yeah you know of course what... bro yeah i mean like we knew what it was because we were into like you know we were into heavy metal and hard rock cool so you knew what time, the magazine so. was and it's just it's like look here we've got a chance to buy one it's a yeah. challenge when it's sick and yeah wow yeah i'm saying it's got fucking megadeth on the cover we're like oh yo look at that look at that <laughs> you know, like, yeah amazing those graphics back then being know. a kid and looking at that shit yeah, your mind man. was blown Mm. Dope, man. So, 
So the weird thing is like, suddenly now, this is like within like six weeks of being at this fucking school. Yeah. And we're like, you know, like we're starting to buy all of these death metal CDs with like the most satanic scriptures. And death metal was fucking <laughs> proper satanic back then and dark. <laughs> and you were in this Christian and school. every morning having to go sing... Yeah, singing hymns and psalms, being the weird fucking packy kids, but into this death metal. Like, yeah, it was, it was just mad, mad, mad. Wow, yeah. fucking hell. And then so uh, you finish there and then go, what, just go into a normal secondary school or do you stay within that type of environment? Yeah, kind of stayed in, stayed in, that, stayed in, that, that, school, that, in that boarding school situation. Uh-huh. I went to the, the, the other, other school in, Cant- in, in, Kent, in Canterbury. It was quite a posh school. Uh-huh. And uh, obviously they... They just, and going to that school, it was like we were allowed to wear our own clothes and stuff. So gradually, like, the teachers kind of just saw that we just looked different, you know what I mean? Like, we was wearing all the hip-hop shit and spliffy gear and fucking, you know, wearing metal T-shirts and stuff. So they, like, automatically kind of were like, these are the bad kids, you know? There's outside sources influencing them. What's going on? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? So, like... You know, yeah. I was always, always on that kind of, on that side of the situation. And that's kind of, yeah, it was in that, but actually it was in that school that I met Arnick from Dark Circle. He was oh. in the year above me. Oh. And, my, and my best friend, my best friend Pete Perra. So he was in the year above and kind of, he was already making rap music at that time. Uh-huh. And like, he was like, we found out that he was a writer because him and Hoika, yeah. um, the other guy from Dark Circle, he used to just come and stay with him from Germany. Yeah. And then, like, you know, they would show us their black books and shit. And then Pera got into it. And then, like, I was whack for ages. But then, you know, I kind of got my styles together. And then, basically, yeah. So, basically, Arnick used to fucking... He was, they, he was like a golden child of that school because he was a scholar, uh-huh. art scholar. And he was, like, top cross-country runner. So, they would just... They would never suspect anything of him. But, like... He was just... Every night, he would fucking... Bro, he would just break out of school and just fucking go bombing yeah. every day. I mean, like, And we'd be like, yo, yo, yo. I remember meeting him, man, you know, and just being, like... Fuck, like dude's got mad style, mad yeah. graph style. He's a sick, like he's sick within the hip hop community, and he's he's really yeah. fucking clever. You could just tell he had this, yeah. but not arrogant, but just yeah, he just seemed yeah, yeah accomplished a bit. Mad. So they were above said, you. They were just in the years above you, then different level. Yeah. So Arnik was one year above me. So then gradually, basically, us three became really close. Yeah. And what was it? Just looking at each other yeah. in the halls, like he's wearing something, I'm wearing something, and then oh, did you know he no, does this? No, actually it was. No, it was, the, it was the, basically the first day that we were there and it was like the fucking inauguration kind of thing. And I was sitting next to Pera uh-huh. and like, I was kind of like, I don't know, we just kind of caught each other's eye and just kind of were just fucking pissing around and yeah, just yeah. being naughty, basically. Yeah. And it was like, oh yeah, it's like a naughty buddy. So like, I went, you know, I just used to go and hang out with him in his room and then he kind of, he was the one who really like, I mean, I was listening to hip hop since I was a kid as well, you know, but he was the one who kind of really like, you Fine know, change you I mean, I I, I, lo- I, lo- I love rap music, but then in terms of like, I think it was, you know, kind of like getting in, getting into graffiti and then understanding that you just cannot be whack. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So they, and what, you know, yeah. that, yeah, I couldn't, I, I, yeah. Saying, so, so that was on. kind of like the intro into like understanding the depths of the, you know, yeah. the culture and everything, you know, everything, uh, what it means to be, you know, involved in hip hop yeah. as somebody who is living it, you know, living it, and then also then like working on a unique style, working on you would you know, yeah. the, the efforts you have to put in to stand out, everything that hip hop yeah. yeah pushes you for like that culture. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the indiv- it's, it's like it's like the understanding the art form, respecting the art form, yeah. and then also breaking the you know being individual enough and not biting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so you've been enjoying and the then music, being individual though. enough. So before that, it was various music, pretty much. Just like yeah, it was, metal, it was rock, various music, whatever. but I say like, 
Yeah, I mean, like we heard, I mean, I got one, I remember when I was 10, 11, I got the fucking, basically like my friend's older brother in Dubai, because music is all censored over here. Everything was purely censored. So, uh-huh. but they used to have like, oh, in all the music shops, like you could go there and you get these tapes, they were called Thompson Original. Right. But what they were, they was just, it was like a company that used to pirate everything. Sick. So you go to the music shops, it was the Thompson Original brand, but Thompson Original was a company that just looked at the billboard charts, top 100 of the billboard charts for the US. Yeah. Bootlegged everything, bootlegged everything, and just put it in the stores. And that's what it was. So, <laughs> certain, so, so certain things would slip through the net, like Two Live Crew. Okay. You know, like when a Two Live Crew band in the USA album came out, yeah. that hit like the, the Billboard chart. So, bang, it slipped through the net. So, you know, certain things would slip through, and, then and they don't to get, get them, caught in censorship then, either, or. I mean, like, they're not listening to... Like, they weren't fucking in the eight, you know, like... They weren't going through every single... Yeah, 80s. brilliant. So, if yeah, that's if, how you... Yeah, I mean, if they if, yeah. if they weren't titties on the cover, they weren't really fucking looking care. too deep, yeah. you know? Titties and guns, you're fine. Yeah, you're I mean, if... Yeah. 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 Wicked, wicked. So, you've been listening. Yeah. You've been listening. But these two kind of yeah, helped man. you fine-tune yeah, that. Crazy. So, what... Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like... Yeah, go on. How how did that all how did that all go then in school? Like generally, like apart from being parts of these cultures, like going through sc- I'm, school life, were you achieving? Did you enjoy I it? Was co- I mean, I wasn't I, w- I wasn't fucking up. I mean, I en- I enjoyed it. I enjoyed making friends and meeting people. And I mean, I, I had a hard time with the teachers because like I they fucking scapegoated me really hard. And even with my best friend Pete Perra, anytime he got in trouble or anything, they'd be like, "Oh, was was that mucky boy there?" Right. Kind of shit, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So. And like, you know, like being, I don't know, just, I think like for me, like I'm not a rude person. I don't steal shit. I don't bully people, but I'm a little bit late. I'm a little bit messy. I'm a little bit loud. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So those three things. And also the fact that like, I didn't, I wasn't kind of, I was like super social. I was like speaking to everybody from all the years and yeah. you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, I, I wasn't hanging out with the cool kids. I wasn't hanging out with you know, the, you know, what, you know, like the geeky guys or the sports guys, I fuck with everyone. So I think that was a bit baffling for them. But I think, um, I did get in a bit of trouble, you know, I got caught smoking, caught drinking or whatever, but, um, I wasn't a serial, yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I was like a serial offender. I mean, they didn't catch me anyway, but, and so differently, did did you get into music, like making music there? Or is it just predominantly just being around the hip hop culture, like listening, partaking? No, I think my, me and my brothers wanted to be in a band since we were kids. Right. So we, so from from those early days of when we were in, in the in the in the in the small school, yeah. like you know, we 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 got like we managed to get an electric guitar and we wanted to be in a band. So we were doing that from, you know, we wanted to be in a metal band and we started making death metal demos. Wow. When we were about in about 90, 92, 93, 94. Wow. 94, we went into a proper proper studio in Dubai. Like our parents had some connects with some people yeah. and they were like, yeah, yeah. So they got us in there on some discounted rate, recorded like a five track EP. And then we would just jam every day, basically. Do you know what I'm saying? And then when I was, yeah, so when I was in, in that school, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't rapping. We were still playing, I was still playing bass and doing music. But it was when I moved back to, it was when I moved back to Dubai for university yeah. um, after I left. There, I met this kid, I met this kid that I knew from when I was younger over here, yeah. who'd moved back from Seattle. And then this other guy called Moves One, who was this dude from San Diego who'd moved to the university. And we kind of stuck out because obviously we're not, you know, just kind of stuck out. So we ended up kicking it. And then Moves One was an amazing musician. But then one day we were just hanging out and then they both just pulled out their bars and started rapping. And I was like, yo, yo, I could do that. But I didn't have any bars. So I was just like, that night, it was just like, go home, back to the fucking drawing board, 
started writing and we formed a crew in Dubai in about 96 wow. called SKA. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. Jesus. Well, that's, yeah, that's quite nice because I would have thought you would have started yeah. rapping back here with them lot, but um, no. No, it was chippy. It was chippy because, I mean, like, I didn't really... I mean, I was kind of fucking around with it and just, like... You know, I was hosting like a radio show, but I was rapping, but I was kind of just spitting other people's lyrics and stuff. But when I moved back to Dubai, just before I moved back to Dubai, that's when I proper heard like, you know, the UK stuff. I'd heard Black Twang and I'd heard, and then the Brotherhood album had just come out. Oh, wow. And for yeah, me, yeah. that was like, that's the, that's, that was the UK album that's kind of hooked me in. I was like, raw, everyone's just rapping about London shit and English accent and, you know what I mean? It was, it was just kind of like, it just connected, connected hard. So when I moved back to Dubai, um, when I moved back here, my brothers were still there, so they'd come back and then they brought me the Mud Fam tapes oh, and then sick. Roots Maneuver would come out, you know what I'm saying? So just before I started rapping, I'd heard the Mud Fam shit and I was just like, oh, UK flex fully. So like yeah. when I started, when I started writing, actually no, I started rhyming and then I heard the Mud Fam stuff because this was like 96. Yeah. I think their shit came out in about 97. Yeah, 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 you're right. Um, but yeah, so like, so I'd already, when I started when I started rapping, I'd always ra- I'd already been you know ra- rapping in an English accent. I didn't feel the need to do some other shit, and then uh, yeah, just heard fucking Mud Fam, and then a year a year after that, basically my brethren Keith, who's passed away, he started coming back with all the Jungle tapes, like the One Nations and fucking Roast and Helter Skelter tapes and all that stuff. So when I heard Stevie Hyper D, Dex, Skibber, oh, all of them lot doing what they were doing. My mind was just, I was just gone. I was like, yo. This is it. I understand. Because I was back, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I was, so we were making joints, you know, we were, we were, you know, recorded tracks and playing at house parties. But then when I heard the jungle stuff, like, that's when I kind of teamed up with that. I mean, I was friends with Dag Nabbit since we were about 10. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so, like, we were around his... He, he had a little studio, and he was making beats and stuff, so we'd made a couple tracks with him, but then he had his decks, and then when the jungle shit started coming, everybody started buying jungle vinyls, and we were like, yo, fuck it, you know? And then I started writing jungle bars, and then decided that we wanted to throw raves, so we started throwing raves out here in about 97. Fucking hell, um, man, I didn't know any yeah. of this, Pete. Yeah, yeah. It's all good, bro. This is like a massive... It's got to come from somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this, that's fucking amazing, man. I mean, what you must have done for Dubai. Like, without real... I don't need to push you up there. Like, I mean, I'm sure there nah, are many other good, people been, out there been... who are doing things as well, but that's... No, no, we've, 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 we've been repping out you've here, been bro. Repping. People know people yeah, know. you've been doing that thing there, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So what did you do in uni? Yeah. What was... Uni, so I did... When I was over here, I was doing a business degree. Mm-hmm. So when I, I, le- I left, and it was like... The uni was a bit of a shit uni, to be honest with you. They just opened up and they were just looking for students. So my GCSE grades were good enough to get into this uni. Nice. So I started when I was 16. No, I was about to say, yeah, you must have been yeah, young. It was yeah, a, yeah, I mean, it was, a bit of, it was a bit of a blank situation. I mean, it was a bit of a mad situation. I mean, whatever. whatever I mean, like, whatever. I had to do, like, English. I had to do English as a second language again. I was like, really? So <laughs> doing that kind of shit, I wasn't... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but so for those two and a half years, I did a business... Business, um, admin, business management, business administration course. And it's an American university, so you have to learn loads of shit like microeconomics, macroeconomics, psychology, just like a whole spectrum yeah, yeah, of stuff. Bet. So I was doing that for about a year and a bit. And then when I was 19, I was by that time, I was like, I need, I need to move to London. I need to move to London. I need to move to London. I was just losing my fucking mind. And what, did you, um, did you think, I have just got to be a musician? I don't want to... What, well, what brother, started, I started rapping... No, basically, I'd started I, by that time. I'd been emceeing for about two and a half years, and I'd never been to a rave. No, actually, I've been to. No, nah, that's a lie. I came back to London summer '97, right? 
and then I went to all of my first I went to I went to all of my first jungle raves and all that stuff and then come back yeah. and it was like it was just I was just hooked into it. I was just like this every day I was just writing and listening. I was just you know just But what were you like, thinking of those... like by going through uni and doing that that course, what what were you thinking about future or were you just thinking I just want to get to London and rap? No, basically, so me and me and I was just, you know, kicking it with Dag a lot. And we just kind of had this, we had this joint dream of moving to London and starting a record label. We were like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just do it. Amazing. Let's just do it. We, we should do it, you know, because he was finishing up school. So it was like, yeah, OK, cool. So you're going to go to uni. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, my, my uni's got, it's got a campus in London. So I could, I'd get my shit together and transfer over there. So basically, so we from we had this. I think you know we had from we had this this little fucking bee in the bonnet about moving to London and starting a record label. It was just how are we going to do this every day, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know? And that's so a fucking bum little hustle we found there as well. Yeah, man. Six. Yeah, it was weird. So that's man. how you got back to UK was by transferring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So I was nine. I was nineteen. Dag went to New uh, Norway for a year, uh-huh. and I'd moved to London. So I was already, I was just moved to London and I was doing uni, but again, I was just like fucking, actually I was raving very nice. hard. It was like Wednesday, Swerve, Thursday, Rumba, Friday, The End or fucking Deck Effects or whatever other situation was happening. But it was real nice because like back in those days, any hip hop party that you went to, there was always an open mic, you know? So you could, you know, you go, I just make sh- whatever hip hop party was happening. I just went there, open mic. Just like go and yeah, just basically you, go and meet everybody. It was a kind of like a social event, and then just start networking. Did you really. know people before you came back in the scene? Yeah, so I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew Arnick. Yeah. You know, I met when I came when I came back in like '97. I, I knew Arnick and Hoika, and they were living in South London. Uh-huh. They were living with debt. They were living with uh, right of debt. That yeah, is, yeah. T- uh, they were living with um, you know because they, they were like so they were around you know Wesley Cope, Manage, uh-huh. all of them South you know the South London crew. So I met all of them lot. When I came back, I met Nat. Before that, I met Natty from Defcon yeah, and Arnick and them. They signed to Natty's label. Yeah. Um, but before that, like they, you know, I'd come back and painted a few times. You know, since I was like 14, 15, like I say, fifteen, come back a couple times to London just to see friends. But we went went and painted with like Kilo, and um, yeah, Kilo and like we, you know, you know, Wee's Agent Orange. He used to write eight. So Chris and Chris Law, Nods, all that spine, like all the spine crew were kind of in the crazy in the periphery, you know. Crazy. I was painting. Yeah. The, I was painting the same time. I, was, I remember that stuff. Mad, bro. Yeah, I was painting Northwest London around that time, yeah, man. Mad. So you start going out. You're at uni, and then you start visiting all the clubs, building up yeah, relationships, just raving, and then jumping on. But, these yeah, mics. I mean, re- fun- funnily enough, like yeah, met, met a few people. I mean, hip hop people were much like safer at that time to in you know to speak to and rep with and if you got skills oh you're you know you're, yeah. there was much more of a sharing culture where drum and bass was much more like who are you fuck off yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. you're not part of this inner circle you know so i found it a bit i mean we used to, like there was loads of people doing shit and we started throwing our own little raves and there was loads of un- other smaller raves that i used to go to um network with and used to go do pirate radio stations and was on Guy Live and wow. Transmission One and Rare Rare Transition, just loads of different spots and that. Try to get on like different, basically just meeting people and upcoming DJs and going on pirate stations like Rude and stuff like that. But um, constantly, yeah. So we were working. We, yeah, man, dude. I just fucking. I was just about it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, it was like 
it was like when I was in Dubai, it was like, you know, someone was pulling the slingshot back for like three years. And then when I got there, it was like, bang! You know? Just non-stop. Yeah, you get me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was doing that, like, I, pay, I went out painting a couple of times. I went out painting a few times, but it was a bit mad just being on a, just being an outsider, Indian person on a student visa. Yeah. It's like, if I get, if I, if I get in trouble too much, it got to the point where it's like, I could get deported, so... And there was one time we were out, I was out painting with Pera and Vizzo. Vizzo was a close oh, friend, wow. rest in peace rest to in God. Peace to God man. And then there was one time we were, we were, we were Royal Oak just painting. I think it was, it was Boxing Day 99, right. 20 fucking years ago. Damn. Imagine this shit. Anyway, so we were just there trackside and then we came up and we were in the skate park over there painting and then some old man who was just bored just ratted on us and then we got bagged and had to go deal with all of that stuff basically for a bit. Yeah, and you were like, fuck um, yeah, so I was like, because, you know, I mean, they were there and they wanted to make an example of us and shit. And, like, thankfully, like, I remember when we went, went to magist- like the magistrate's court and it was like, oh, we Jesus. got this judge who was, like, asking questions and he was like, no, no, the court's adjourned till next week. I'm going to fucking deal with this properly. We were like, what? Mm. But fortunately, my aunt, my, my, my dad's sister, she was a, she was a barrister. She, she was like, no, nah, this is bullshit. Like, this is a first-time offence. You were painting in somewhere which was legal. Yeah. So she took me back to the station and she spoke to the duty sergeant mm-hmm. and then got them to drop it to a caution so yeah so basically Fuck that was dropped to a caution God for that yes bruv so by the time we went back to court next week bruv we showed up for court next week yeah, yeah. Vizzo shows up with a fucking evening standard Neil Kinnock on the front with a big Vizzo reach oh, on the front shit. of the fucking paper anyway so we go in fucking new new fed is there reads out a whole bunch of like Anyway, so like um, new Fed is there, and then the judge is like, it was our turn, and he just said, "No, nah, this, this, these charges have been dropped. They've just been given a caution." Oh, so yeah, bro, she fucking saved saved our ass with that one. And then was that it? Then you were yeah, like, "Fuck cool, that, I'm done. I'll paint a bit, Man. but I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to yeah, get all city, like, a lot of trackside." Yeah, so it's just yeah. like you know, do you know what I mean? Like, well, it's like new- as much as as much as. Yeah, I mean, sorry. You know, I love getting up and I love painting, <laughs> but it's just like at this point, like the, you know, starting to do music more, and I was like, I didn't want to jeopardize. You know, I mean, if I if if something fucks up, that means I can't. Yeah. I mean, the other you know, thing as is, as a musician, I want to. Go- you had music there as well, and you knew what you could get out yeah. of it. You knew that it was fulfilling that same yeah. thing that graffiti probably was, but it wasn't. Yeah, gonna send I mean, you that, I, I knew I, I wanted to. I wanted to be a rapper much more than I wanted to be a fucking upright. There you go. Exactly. Point, you know? So, so like, like, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a hard decision. No, no, you know? no, no. Brilliant. A fucking mad that you got to paint. Yeah. If you got to paint with though, man, over that time, over that career, that's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Come on, bro. So then, what what happens in the early two thousands? How does that go? You finish two thousands. Okay, so what happens when you finish uni? Yeah, so I did. I did. I didn't, I didn't finish uni, I was doing uni, but then music was just kind of like, it was get, starting to get serious. No, I didn't. I did it for about two years, and then basically it was like, music was just, I was, I was starting to fuck uni up a little bit. Right. And uh, basically, my mum, again, she fucking saved the day. She was like, all right, listen, I'll tell you what, take a year out, see if you can do this music thing, if you can do it. Yeah. All good. If you can't, just go back uni, finish your shit, and then, yeah. you know, we'll take it from there. Yeah. But... Literally, as soon as it was like, all right, cool. It was like, bang, mission starts here. I need to put a fucking record out. I need to put a record out. So that was the start of the journey, you know, because like we were doing, we were making drum and bass and, you know, we're making drum and bass, but it wasn't up to scratch. And and it was cool. We were kind of involved in the circuit and meeting lots of people and playing raves. But the hip hop shit was fucking, that was ready to go by. I'd say I left uni in 2001. And then by the end of 2000, yes, I left in like, 
what like Christmas time 2001 yeah and then by by the end of the year that's when the foreign beggars record was ready to go the first one where did the song go fucking hell yeah you turned it around that quick so how did you meet everyone else then properly and then like form that group so Dag I knew from Dubai, yeah, yeah. so we moved to London. So he then, came back from Norway. I got to London. Yeah, came back, came back, for, came back from Norway. Moved to moved to London. We moved in together and just set up basically Burn. with with the with the with the mission in mind. What side of London? Um, and them them times when he moved back, I was it was it was west. So we west. just moved to Dollis Hill. Okay, cool. Yeah, we was in we was in Westmore Park. We moved to Dollis Hill, <clears throat> and then from there we moved to. Hi, we yeah. After leaving there, we moved to Holloway Road for a bit, for like six months, and then from there we moved down to Highbury. We moved down to Highbury Estate where Task Force were living, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was mad because like I knew Task Force. I checked, you know, checked some of their stuff, but I didn't really know, I didn't really know the levels. But then I kept, you know, kept seeing them at like Kung Fu and shit, yeah. and then I was like, yeah, cool. And they were like, yeah, come round check. So I went to check them. I remember I went round, I went round <laughs> the house one time, and I was just sit, bro, I was just sitting there with Farmer and Chess, and then like. Obviously, just blazed the fat scud and, uh, bruv, they, he just starts playing bare, unreleased shit. It's and amazing. I'm just there taking it in. Like, I was just sitting there like, I, was, I literally shat my pants, bro. bro that room, speak. I've been there, like, I've done it. Fuck. I shat my pants in there as well. It's unbelievable. You know I mean? Going to that bro. room with both of them, with all those records and those, it, oh, God. And no, and, and, no, and, no, and no one's saying too much no. either. So it's kind of just like they're just, they're just playing... They're just playing bangers and battling, and then you just, I just hear chess just going. I, it was literally sent me back to the fucking drawing board. I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, I got even, so I got more, I got more prang, obviously, than build another zoo, fund it, and I just literally, like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was just like, I was like, all right, guys, safe, cheers, yeah, cheers, see you later, that. see you later. You just ruined my whole right. career. <laughs> In it. Yeah. No, it's yeah, a, I mean, so that room fucking... is very, was very powerful. It was a, a, an amazing space. Um, what a bro, fucking... in that time, in that time, bro, they were like, if you look back at it, yeah, they were the coldest thing in the fucking country. Yeah, completely. You know? Like, yeah, completely. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, amazing. They're just a few doors down. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah. So, like, and then how did you meet the rest of them? How did you, you meet the rest of the foreign beggars and put that together? Oh yeah, like? sorry. Yeah, sorry. I fucking jumped the gun there. So basically, I was at when I was at uni. Yeah. Um, there was this other, uh, there was this other kid there who was like this, this Filipino kid from Jacksonville <laughs> and like we're talking and he was, he was the only person there who was on the music flex. He was like, yeah, I'm a DJ, I'm a turntablist. I was like, yo, it, tu- it turned out to be this guy called Gizrock and he was in a mixologist wow, yeah. at the time. So it was him, it was him, DJ Go, yeah. Benny G and Yo One. And, uh, he was fucking flying around going to DMC championships and shit. And then there was one DMC championship that he was coming back from Denmark. I think they'd won that year. Mm-hmm. And, uh. Basically, at immigration, they were asking him what they, you know, he was say, you know, he said he was went to, he went there for the competition, yeah. fucked up. So they basically cancelled his visa. They didn't let him come back into the country because he was supposed to be a student, but he was DJ. He was a student, but he was just doing his thing as well. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so he that. left. Yeah. But then um, it was through him that I met No Names, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, so No Names was at St Mary's Uni in East London, uh-huh. and he was. Yeah, he was in he was in uni there. He just moved there, and he heard this. He heard about this rapper called Tao Rai, and he was looking for Tao Rai. But Ebo Metropolis had just moved to that uni as well, so he just stepped to Ebo. Was like, "You're a rapper," yeah. and Ebo was like, "Yeah, kick can you kick a beat." And then from that's how they met. And then wow. it was through. No, I just kind of stayed in touch. I just I just kind of stayed in touch with No Names because Gizrock had gone. Yeah. And uh, so when when the record was ready, um, yeah, fucking yeah, I seen I seen. 
I seen Giz Rock had come back and I seen him him and Giz playing in the pub and I just had my test press and I went up to him and then yeah, so then from there when I put the group together I was like, yep. Yeah, cool, just no names, come come DJ for us, innit? So yeah, mad. Yeah. And so on that first record, is it just you rapping? No, it's me. It was me, Arnick from Dark Circle, Tommy Evans, and then on the flip side is a solo track, both produced by Dagnam. I know it. Yeah, I know it. I yeah, it's called where did, where did the Song Go? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I remember it now. I remember it now. Fucking hell. Yeah, and so that was done within, what, yeah. eight months or nine months of you finishing uni by the end of that year? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we are just trying to ting, man. Like, I mean, we'd done a few, we'd made probably about six or seven other tracks before that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, we'll do this. And, it was, and then, well, then Dag, when we were in Highbury, Dag made Where Did The Song Go? And he, he made that beat. Yeah. And then he made a few other beats. And I, oh, when I was in Highbury, I recorded the track, the track Dark Parts, which was on the second. Yeah which is on the second 12-inch, the one with Task Force on it. Yeah. And, uh, but we had, so we had that, Evil Doctor Hip Hop, um, where did someone go, Evil Doctor Hip Hop, Piss Take Pictures, um, Dark Parts, and then we were like, okay, so we were trying to get a distribution deal. We got, basically, I was, I, I, I was just trying to, I was trying to get signed, basically, so I was trying to speak to everybody and trying to get signed, and we were just getting fucking dicked around. Basically, I spent that entire year getting dicked around by people and, and pissed, like, you know, just learning stuff and learning how to do it, but, and so the, you know, going to open mics, but just kind of realising that no one was really... But it was to get signed. It was to get signed and get... That was the main aim. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Wanted someone that, you know, wanted a label to put our shit out, but then it got to the point where, like, you know, we had a... You know, it was just whatever the option was going to be, whether set up our own label, set up, you know. But then, you know, we had this girl who was managing us and she said, yeah, I got a, I got a, basically, she calls me up when I'm at home for Christmas and she calls me and goes like, yo, I just got, I just got a two EP distribution deal. They love it. They're going to press it and distribute it worldwide from Germany. What? So I'm at home for Christmas with my family. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm at home for Christmas with my family. I'm like, what? Shut the fuck up. Bang. Get the champagne out, pop it with my whole family, my parents, everything, going like, yeah, finally, look, I told you something's going to happen. I did it. Anyway, come back to London. Come back, no, come back to London and find out it was complete bullshit. Oh. She was lying. Just lying? Just straight like, up lying? On some, yeah, just straight up lying. She never spoke to Groove Attack, nothing, man. Do you know what I mean? It was just some, some next level, like, psycho shit going oh, on. And God. I was just like, what? Yeah. Anyway, so basically I went to her and I was like, look, you've dipped me around. You need to put the money up for the release. We're going to press it ourselves. Yeah. So did that basically. So I got some money from her, went to press it, went to fucking independent pressing, brain tax. He dipped me around. I don't really want to get into it. You can listen to, to that story somewhere else. Yeah. Anyway, so he dipped me around. Anyway, so ended up having a press it, a press it with them. And then basically I remember walking into Bongo's because, you know, you had to you had to go and distribute all the records yourself them yeah, days. Yeah, so yeah. I remember walking into Bongo's shit in my pants like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Anyway, I see the man them there. They're like, yeah, okay, cool. Listen to it. They're like, yo, this is all right. And I was like, okay. So they're like, give me five. And then I was going to the, all the other stores and stuff. And then before I'd even left town, they were like, yo, we just sold them all. Come back. Sick. I was like, what? Run back in there, give them 10. And I was like, yeah, wicked, wicked. So then every day for like the next month, they were calling me back like, yeah, we're done, sold out, done, sold out, bring 20, bring 50. Fucking So hell. that was like, so basically, so that for, to, for like, to, when we dropped that, so basically like 
once we'd done that, the record was out. It was doing, it was doing all right. Like big up Tommy Evans. He showed us how to do press properly, uh-huh. and then we just pressed. Like them days, it was before the internet, yeah, so yeah. it was just stickers. Yeah. So I must have pressed about 20,000 20, stickers, Bang and it. then just fucking killed it. All, all city, yeah. London, Bristol, Manchester. Anybody I knew just fucking just was just like black, 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 black. So bag, get them out. Yeah, the name was that. That the name was out then, so that was when it started, and that was in. That, yeah, that was that released in January, February. Yeah, that was no, that was released first of the second of the third. So that's first of February two thousand and three. Wow, was when that shit dropped. Yeah, man, mad thing. Mad hell, that's amazing. And then what was so yeah. that? And then dented. What? Where did that come from? What was that about? Basically, so we just had when we because obviously we put our we were putting it out ourselves, so yeah. we just started our own record label. Because I mean, that's what we wanted to do from the beginning, yeah, anyway. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, we were like, all right, fuck it. We'll just start our own, you know, start our own label. Just came, you know, came up with the name with it. I mean, like, at that point, it was just a fucking logo on a wax and stickers. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just us. I've always loved that name. Um, but then, yeah, safe, bro. Big up. <laughs> I've always loved yeah, that Yeah, fucking, I was, bruv, I was, it was a toss-up, man. I was going to, I was almost going to call it Dirty Boy Records, man. <laughs> fucking thank fuck I didn't, bruv. <laughs> Bro, you know them ones, yeah, where you're like, oh, is it, is it, is it? Yeah. You wonder how much they would have sold yeah. off that, that... Bruv, I'm so glad I didn't do oh. that. I mean, I fucked up what you know, and they, you, whatever. I mean, yeah. Bruv, also... You didn't know what was coming, another, come, There's like... When, we, when, we, when it came to putting out Asylum Speakers, yeah, yeah I almost, that album was almost called Bin Juice, bruv. <laughs> Is that your idea as well? <laughs> no, it's my, it was Pete, it was Pera. Pera <laughs> came up with the name for Asylum Speakers. Pera, Pera's the one who done all the graphics for all the foreign yeah, yeah, releases. Yeah, he oh, came oh. up with the name Asylum, Asylum Speakers as well. That's sick. But he also came up with Bin Juice, and we were like, oh... Bin juice, Shall yeah, that's Raggo's gully, <laughs> isn't it? Mate, that was Bruh. that album, man. Asylum Speakers, you fucking blew people's mind with that. Say that is amazing. Double album. No, I see, yeah, double album on vinyl. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, what, seven, yeah, 17 or 18 tracks yeah. with the skits and shit. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing piece of work. Absolutely killer, man. So what, yeah, I opened my shop in 03, so that, yeah. I got your vinyl then. I must have got it from Boombox, maybe from Disorder. Yeah, um, yeah, disorder. Yeah, I would have got it from disorder. And yeah, I, yeah I'd, big up I'd only just, I only got into UK hip hop in maybe 01. Um, yeah. And so getting this level of album for me, because I hadn't been in it too deep. And when I, to sell music in my shop, all I did, I just hollered at Louis, because I met Louis Slippers, and I just sold his CDs. That was all I sold in terms of Yeah, music. man. And then it was... That shit was hotcakes them times. Oh, it was amazing. It was bruv, you could have bought a house off selling his CDs. Seriously, it was crazy, that yeah, CDs. Bro. But um, it was then when he was like, no, nah, look, no, you need to sell sick. more. Go and chat to Disorder. And then, yeah, one thing led to the next. And Disorder literally, like, fed me loads of great music. Um, yeah, man. But I remember getting that. I, I still play Silent Speakers now. I've got it vinyl on my shelf now in my studio. It's, it's here. Safe, bro. Bang it up. And so then the Thank push you, was... So... Talk about your, what, how is it, by, by setting up a business then, did that allow you to stay in the country after being a student? Yeah. No, bro, because I mean, it was, I say we're setting up a business, but it was like, I mean, it was, I, I didn't really, it's just kind of running, basically Dag was kind of like handling the business side of it, you know, so yeah. like in terms of the finance and all of that kind of stuff, like so, but bro, it was just, like, to be honest with you, in the beginning, it was just raggo. It was just like, get peas however you need to get peas. 
and then press wax and then start shotting it. You know what but I mean? But there was no need and for you for paperwork um, reasons. No, for, okay. For in terms in terms of the immigration side, this is a bit of a fuckery because like. When I left uni, they gave me a 10-year multiple entry visa to be yeah. in the country. Uh-huh. So that, kind of, that means I'm allowed to stay and be in England 180 days at a time. I need to leave and come back. Okay. You know? so, I was, so, but with that, I'm not allowed to work. I'm not allowed to do any business and stuff. So I couldn't, I couldn't really uh, do anything. It was all like, you know, Dag, Dag was doing all the business yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, there. Yeah. Right? You're just so, being an artist. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm being an artist, just fucking out there, just, just doing whatever the fuck we needed to do to get it moving. Crazy. Right? So... Basically, the reason I could have, I saw, like, once, once, once the shit was real and it was moving, and I was like, all right, cool, I want to regularize my status over here. I went to see loads of different lawyers, and what they said to me was, um, I need to show that I'm a famous artist in my country of residence, mm-hmm. and I'm invoicing over 20,000 a year, right. and then I can apply for an artist visa at the time. Uh-huh. So that was impossible because there's no fucking <laughs> rap scene in, you know, like proper <laughs> rap scene in Dubai, yeah. you know. So basically all my experience was kind of like what Foreign Beggars was doing in the world, you know? Mm. And so basically I was just in this Catch-22 situation of like, okay, cool, so what do I do? I just have to live on this tourist visa, but I can't get an artist visa because I can't show that I'm invoicing, you know, I don't have a business in Dubai, fucking, you know? So basically I just had to just kind of keep going back and forth and flexing and all of that stuff, which meant like, because I was on a tourist visa, I mean, I couldn't get any visas for anywhere else. So if we had shows in France, I'd have to come back to Dubai wake up at 6 a.m., go to the embassy in Abu Dhabi two and a half hours away, make like four, five, six, seven trips, and then come back to England to get the show, you know, get, go to fucking France to do a fucking hell. show. You know? Fucking So that's how, I was, that's how I was living for years and years that's and years. You know what I'm saying? Bro. So by the time... Bruv, trust me, man. Exhausting and expensive, yeah. you know what I mean? So like, well, we're going to get... We're going to get a thousand euros for a show in fucking Paris, but I've got to spend more on the flights and the visa. Yeah. To, you know what I mean? Anyway... Whatever, whatever. You keep it moving. You keep, you it, keep it. I mean, whatever, look, the so. point is, that you did it, and look, look what you fucking did over that time as well. I mean, a lot of people would have been like, "Yeah, see you later, boys. I'm gonna get a job now." Bro, <clears throat> fuck that, bro. No, of course, I would I'm do anything you. to not get a normal job. Yeah, exactly. Bro. I'm with you, but a lot of people do. And the fact is, you're like, "No, fuck it. I'll fight this. I'll keep going. I'll do it this way." Wow. I didn't know yeah. that, Pete. I remember when you came to yeah, the shop man. and you done an open mic at my shop. It was the first time we met. Yeah. That was sick. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Squizzle, Squizzle took us that's down. That's right, that's it? right. Good old Ed. Yeah. Good old Ed. Yeah, man. And that was how... Because I knew all the underlying yeah. as well. Yeah, so that's how I knew Dagnabbit. Yeah, that's how I knew Dagnabbit. Fucking hell, man. And so then it was just about, let me get this music done. Yeah, so just get the music done, put the records out, and then basically, so we were... In the beginning, it was just, you know, whatever, you know, little shows we could get here and there, but then afterwards... After we put out Asylum Speakers, we were starting to do more shows and then people start, you know, the name started to spread a lot yeah. more and people wanted to hear us in different places. And then after we put the, when I put the Crypt Draw EP out, that was in 2000 yeah. and 2004, mm-hmm. beginning of 2004, we decided that we want to do a proper tour for this. So me and Shlomo just got on the blower, called up every single promoter around the country and just booked, you know, we spent about three weeks. It was like proper office work. Get so, up in the morning, nine o'clock, yeah. got all of these cunts we're supposed to phone, yeah. we need to send them these packages, send out vinyl, send out CDs and just get all the dates locked they in. Do so the follow-up we booked calls, about 28 shows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so basically we made like a three-level package. There was like foreign beggars, you can get foreign beggars with manage and DJ Snuff 
and Bang. or you can get Foreign Beggars with manager DJ Snuff and I was tight with these writers from Spain like Seleka oh, who runs the Limbo. You brought them to my shop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, cool. That's when that's when we come to your show. That's, that's right. They're like that was part of that crypt draw tour. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. So yeah. basically you know, if they want to pay nine nine hundred and fifty, you can get the writers to come and they'll paint up the spot as yeah. well. So that was basically that so we put this fat tour together and then off the back of that, once we you know, we pressed the flyers and just killed put the flyers everywhere and all like the don't panic and kung fu packs yeah. and all the shops and shit. Agencies seen it and they were like, primary called us up and they were like, Oh, do you wanna do you, are you looking for an agent? And then that's when we got our first agent who started getting us bookings and then the you know the started getting more shows and the peas started going up and stuff and that's when it kind of turned into like oh okay cool we can we can actually just keep you know just keep doing this we can do this as a living i mean you, you've yeah it's been non-stop you've been releasing music year in year out professionally year in year out yeah, man. since the beginning yeah and then touring wise i mean you've done well with the touring right yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, like live shows is where it's at. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was, I've always wanted the way that I've, the way when I was a kid growing up, and I'd see like, okay, cool, Pantera's put an album out, and then they got a world tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was like if you're a musician, you put your band, you put an album out, and you do a world tour. So that was always my vision. You know, so for me, it was always about sh- doing shows and getting out to places. And I think like from it was from basically from Graph, I've got to say that like because like. We used to go on different holidays, painting, play, you know, like backpacking holidays, painting in different countries and shit. And it was that mentality, you know, like you go, there'll be a graph jam, yep. there'll be people playing there. So it's like understanding that there were all these other places where you can go and do shows and meet artists and connect. That was like kind of set up our touring network in, in the very beginning of Foreign Beggars. Amazing. So going out to Spain, going out to Spain when we were like 15, 16, 17 on just graph holidays, all the kids that we used to kick it with in, in the skate park, they ended up fucking taking their music to different levels. So by the time Asylum Speakers have come out, all these motherfuckers are like national superstars like SFDK, La Mala Rodriguez, wow. Action Sanchez, Dogma Crew, all these guys from Seville that we used to know are fucking filling stadiums. So, you know, you know, through all of them and all of our friends in Spain, they were like, you know, the music got out there. So, you know, we'll go and play with them. But, OK, we're in London playing, you know, 150, 200, 300 people. We'll go out there. Suddenly we're playing in front of four or 5,000 people in the stadium. So, like, it was like, I think Arnick was a big, you know, Arnick and Loop Troop, especially the way that they, you know, the way that Loop Troop, the way that Loop Troop got about, you know, through kind of like half kind of being like involved in the graph scene and playing all the graph jams and all that kind of stuff. That was kind of what really, uh, you know, broadened my network to this like underground hip hop fucking, you know, community that's, that spans the globe. Also, I mean, it it seems that you were basically willing to do anything to be, and to just keep producing, making things. It was just like, what what, what does it take? Okay, cool. Yeah, of course, And if I can, let me just see if I can, it wasn't like bettering experiences, but it was just like, you knew the experiences were available, so why not? Go and get yeah. Them. Why not? So it's like okay. So you put the out. Al- I put the album out. Like so, when we put out Asylum Speakers out, we didn't have a tour. So it was like, fuck. I want to do. I want to fucking you yeah, know, go yeah. on tour. You yeah. know. So then, you know, you figure out, speak to people, but but then like at the end of the day, like you know, if no one else is going to do it for you, you're just going to be like, all right, cool. We are going to do a fucking tour. So you just got to put it, put it together, yeah. and then, you know, from the back of that, doing that, and then figuring out how other things work, and then understanding that we need to, you know you know, work on getting the fees up and turning this into a proper yeah. proper situation. So, yeah, man. I mean, uh, it's so nuts how this, you know, you talk about, you, earlier on you mentioned about, you know, the battle aspect or the, you know, the bettering yourself and wanting to, you know, just 
keep keep at it, keep doing it. It teaches yeah. you so much because when real life kicks in, you can really draw off those those strengths we pull up in our hobby years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In the hobby years, before you even think yeah. about it being anything, you understand the effort it takes to do what you want to do. And then when you do yeah. want to do something, you can take from that, that, those experiences and then you understood it. You un- Hip-hop showed you how to hustle it. Do you know what I mean? We're, Bruv, completely, yeah. man. And also show me how to network. And also, like... All of that. The fact that, like... Yeah, and it was also, like, just kind of be, always being, like, an outsider in situations, but knowing... Just knowing I could go to any city and take my fucking skills and my respect... Yeah. And I'll meet people who understand that and then bang, you're in, yeah. you know what I mean? You meet people and connect and then it opens up, you know? Did so you ever experience... Kind of bringing that... Did you ever experience any racism in hip-hop? I wouldn't say... Not in the hip-hop scene. I, I think, like, in the jungle scene, it was just a lot of bravado and muscle and just to be an MC, you know, like an Indian boy from not from... Yeah. Not even necessarily from London, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like... I did, I did, you know, like, it was like, what? You know what I mean? It was like, what? You know, it was very, it was very arms house. Even like, yeah. you know, you had to fight, you had to fight to get on the mic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, literally you had to like, be like, stand your fucking ground. You get the mic and you shell and you hold it. Yeah. And if you not, know, and you, you had to, you know, <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So basically just coming into the jungle scene as an MC in like the end of the, end of the nineties, early two thousands wasn't wasn't a simple thing to do, right. do you know what I'm saying? So I did, ex- you know, but I mean, I guess they're just boy, you know, everybody gets like, if you're not just on some fucking super road shit, you were getting boy. Yeah, it didn't matter. Know? I suppose it wasn't really about racism as such, was it? It was more about where, yeah. where are you from, bro? I mean, <laughs> expecting like, I, I, they, they, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's about racism, but definitely they're just thinking, oh, this this Asian guy, you know what I mean? There was, you know. How it's can not he a, know? Yeah. It's not really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, how's he going to be a bad man? Yeah, how? You know, right now. They don't Because that was, yeah, you know, yeah, especially yeah. in the jungle scene. Yeah. Different. You know, the, the hip hop scene was way more kind of open minded. You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of like, you know, but I guess like the, the the jungle scene was mad spread out and mad varied. There was all sorts of people into that music. You know what I mean? Like the pockets were a lot smaller, but it was massive. There was these small pockets of it. Yeah. Whereas hip hop. The UK scene was so, like you said earlier, you could go to Bristol, you could go to Edinburgh, you could go to Brighton, you could go, and it. It was so easy to walk into hip hop in any of these cities in our country. It's a yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's a different culture as such, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, that was in, that was in the bit that was in the beginning, like. But I, I definitely will say that when it came to like a little bit later, when it came to putting out records, when it came to, you know, like the artists who were already putting out records, that that they were definitely a bit on more on the stush side. Yeah. And they were a bit, you know, like people are. I think this is general. It's a it's quite a British mentality where people aren't necessarily willing to help you. Yeah. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unless they can see something or sharing their contacts. Or for me, I'm like, oh yeah, fuck it, open. Well, you know, you meet people and they'll know someone, but they will not make the introduction for you. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, a it's a mad. You know, place. They, I was actually talking to a friend earlier about using the word help in this country mm. and using it with humility, but we tend not to do it because. Pride gets in the way, but sometimes it ain't pride. It's just you kind of feel you already know the answer. You already feel that shit's mm. a bit hidden and a bit covered up. I mean, the hip hop scene is amazing, and yeah. but I, could, I understand what you mean. When you hit a certain level in the business part of it, it changes. But that's business, I suppose. Isn't yeah, it? that's business. It, I mean, it could happen yeah, I guess in any, so. anything. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, when you make a business out of this thing, like we have, yeah, it's a culture. We come from a, it comes from a friendship base. It comes from a cultural base, and so. Sometimes questions get asked, like, what are you doing this for? Are you doing this for the culture or are you doing it to, you know, lay your pockets? Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm actually yeah. just trying to survive. And 
I'm, yeah, but I mean, but that's because you're one of the that's because you're one of the fucking real ones. You know what I mean? Oh, I appreciate that, but yeah, it's just. It, I, I, yeah, I, mean. I, I hear what you mean. I suppose the things that you may have experienced it is because yeah, it's it's such a blurry line. This business, this world, as it being yeah. a culture, and then it actually paying bills, and then there's a there's an issue because people get pissed at like, what about my bills? Yeah, being paid? but no, but no, but that's a, that's the thing, right? That's the thing. I think if you're innovative enough, yeah. right. And you can make this, there's, there's, there's so many possibilities for you to make money in this shit, yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not like you making money is going to stop anybody else making I've, money, do you know what I mean? They just need to get that. their fucking shit in order. Yeah, I've always played that game, that's what I'm saying. Honest, so it's like, Competi- there's nothing like competition. There's nothing like it. We need do you it. Know what I mean? like, and that's what hip-hop's based yeah, on. No, we only better ourselves in the hip-hop culture because we want competition. But the moment it comes to business, exactly. all of a sudden it's a problem. Like, why is it a problem, it's man? It's like, nah, Use man, the energy. Like, Use the energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, but look, maybe it's part of growing up as well, P. We're still quite young, bro. You know, maybe it's... Yeah, do you fa- reckon? Yeah. Fuck. Do you no, reckon? I do reckon. Sheet. I do reckon because we started... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm fucking around. But quite similar. We, um, we started businesses yeah. at the same... You know, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. We started working at the same type yeah. of age. And also yeah. it was very young within the, 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 the country. It wasn't an old business in the country yeah, yeah, we, we were being part of. No. So, um, yeah, mad times, mad times. So, but over the yeah, years, man. the building of the building of foreign beggars, and then the collaborations of other artists. Yeah, you've had a fucking mad time. Yeah, man, we just kept it moving. Really, like for me, it's like it's, we wanted. To, like, I think there's a lot of people who got you know issue with the fact that we kind of started doing you know other music and stuff and we you know our later albums weren't necessarily exactly like the actually no the albums are all pretty consistent yeah but i think people took a some people took a felt a bit felt a bit of a way that we weren't making like pure pure like fucking the same kind of backpacker shit that we were making in the beginning but i think like one thing was like the fucking it was just not it's not that we weren't it's just certain other tracks got a lot more visibility but I think it was about, it was after like 2000 and it was after like, it was around when we were doing Begatron that we were like, kind of wanted to get into more electronic music. I think before that we'd already start, because in, our, in, our, in the Beggar set, we always played a bit of jungle. We always played a bit yeah. of, you know, 140 bass music and shit. So we'd already been playing like grime and dubstep, you know, from about 2004, yeah. 2005, 2006, just kind of just to action up the show. And uh, but I got to a point where we were like, we're, we're just fucking just shelling on other people's beats, so we should actually make some of our own and have some of our own bangers. So we started doing that shit, and then that shit kind of took off in the dubstep world, kind of crazily. And I think dubstep was at a point where it was just that was, I think it was the first time we were making music in a scene that was at, you know, the scene was at the forefront of its like, yeah, yeah I hear you know, you. yeah, I know, the you, for, you know, like this is a forefront of its evolution. It's not like we were coming into drum and bass twenty years later. No. It's not like we're starting to make hip hop like. You know, thirty years after its inception, we were kind of coming into yeah. it when it was like, "This is we've we've just seen this kind of crystallize out of you know garage and jungle also, and everything that was going on." You, and we were, you, we, you know, it. we were a part of it since before. You got into it when it was still a question: "What is this?" Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah, you you were at that point of it. But do you think? But the hip hop, so like, the hip hop side, kind of frowned on that a bit. Maybe you think. I mean, just saying, fucking hip hop Nazis everywhere, bro. Come yeah. on, just saying. I mean, I think, I think people did because obviously, like the kind of albums that we were making in the beginning, they were so like, there was a lot of like humility, and there was a lot of, um, you know, it was it was really about exploration and language and uh-huh. message, and you know, like really pushing, like you know, really like you know, hip hop techers. Yeah, lyrical you know? dons. I would, I would yeah. call it that. 
you know, all of that shit. So like when we were kind of doing stuff which wasn't as like frontline techers as that, yeah. you know, it was like, oh, what the fuck is this whack shit? You know? It's crazy. So, I mean, like, I guess we, I guess we set people up for that expectation, you know. Yeah. So kind of like going in a slightly different direction. It's nuts because it happened. That I mean, that happens in all sides of the culture as well. I mean, we see the same with writers. The moment a writer puts down a spray yeah. can and picks up a paintbrush to produce some work, it's a fucking problem. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's dumb, man. It's, it's dumb. It's in the end of the day, in the end of the day, you are, but, do whatever the fuck you, you want to do. Just we can't don't be stay. Whack. We can't stay in 1997. You can't. You can't stay in 97. What's that? <laughs> you, literally, we can't, Bro, we can't exactly, stay in 97. You, like, you know what I mean? I'm 40 now. Like, <laughs> I can't do what I did at 17. I mean, like, for, <laughs> do you know what I mean? For me, like, I take the essence, I take the essence of like, when we were making that music, I take that essence to when, you know, say we're making a drum and bass track. I'll still be very respectful to all of the stuff. I'm not going to do some whack shit. I'm not going to do some cheesy shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I want to do what... You know, all of those, all those values and fucking ethics, I'm going to bring to what I'm doing. But it's something, I'm, you know, it's something slightly different. I'm sure. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it happens in other cultures or not, but I do find it funny that within hip hop, a culture that we take from other things to produce our work. Yeah. That the moment it's after that hate. fact, moment you start to con- so you, you've learned that bit, so you've took from loads of things and you make this thing that's hip hop, and then the moment you try and yeah. do it again, the next level Diversify. it's frowned upon, like, and you're like, no, uh, it's cool, yeah. I'm just doing it another way, like, no, 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 you're not, that's not hip hop, that's not right. Well, no, not- but 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 if you, yeah, but 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 the thing is, the people who are frowning are. are on it, do you know what I'm saying? They're just kind of early on in their fucking discovery. Yes, yeah, yeah. there, there are many reasons for it. So I just, whatever. I do find it funny. Like, well, I suppose maybe yeah. a lot of young people, it's the older gatekeepers that make me laugh. I'm like, bro, come on, come on, you should know better. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just funny. I think it happens. It must happen in many cultures. Definitely, what happens in many cultures. Um, what has been? What's what happened? What's happened? What's been the bestseller over the years? What's been the one that pushed you up a couple more levels? That got you to the public a well, bit I think more. Asi- bruv, Asylum Speakers did a, did a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know I mean, that did a beautiful... And, and it continues to just kind of, like, represent. Brilliant. Um, Hold On, was, Hold on yeah. was a sick one. And I think, you know, people talk about Hold On being, like, a fucking bona fide UK foundation classic, yeah. you know. So for me, to have achieved that, you know I mean, to be, you know, I mean, there's certain joints, like, Witness to Fitness or mm. Hold On or, you know, certain skinny man joints. You know what I mean? Like, to just, to, just kind of be, to put, to be put in that, you know, like, yeah. in, you know, to be referred to is like, it kind of feels like, wow, I really, you know, we really went and did, something, did something, you know, we made yeah. a difference. But, yeah, so then Hold On and then after that, the next big thing that kind of opened the doors was, I think, um, so when we did the Begatron album and we did that, when we dropped Contact, mm. That was a really big opener. Like, it was mad, because when we dropped Contact, that was the first time I decided, like, all right, I'm really going to invest in this. I'm going to pay for a radio plugger, wow, £800, pounds, and I'm going to pay for... I'm going to pay for a radio plugger, and I'm going to yeah. pay for... I'm like, I'm going to get the, the fucking CDRs pressed and, like, the full colour, so I paid a grand for them. Yeah. Blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Get the fucking expensive PR company. So, but the mad thing is with that tune, like, when we dropped Contact, not a single person, not a single radio DJ in the UK played it. No. Nobody was playing it. Only the only piece of feedback I got from that record was Annie Mac going, uh, not really into the vocal, you know. Uh, and I was like, all right. But then once we dropped, once we dropped the video and the drum and bass remix of that, yeah. the drum and bass remix popped the fuck off. Basically, in the jungle scene, Andy C was playing it, sick. And you know that kind of did its bits. And then the the video was the one that really kind of blew it. So the video, kind of that was the thing that kind of took Foreign Beggars 
into like a fully international kind of sphere because it was around a, it was just a bit after the time dubstep was popping yeah. off and it was electric it was like in between video chip flips into the drum and bass but it was like super hard and you know the sounds were electronic and it was produced by noisier so it was just kind of loads of different things converged around that really record that fucking blue do you know what i mean like that's still i mean like that's if you look on youtube that that's the that's the videos i got 15 million Ooh. plays it's like that's the that's that's the biggest one that you know that we dropped from that time and i think um so that was fucking sick. And then the while we were making the Begatron album, that was the first time, like, I, 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 after Straight Point Agenda, I dropped Hit That Gash, yeah. which opened up a lot of stuff as well. But then it was a Hit That Gash remix that Prime Cuts, and uh, it was, a, yeah, Prime Cuts had done the Hit That Gash remix, and that was getting rinsed in the dubstep scene. I remember that. Then we dropped a bar... Yeah, so Hit That Gash remix, and then we got a Bar 9 remix of one of our tunes, and that was getting rinsed. And then at that point, Dubstep producers were hollering at us to do collabs. So, you know, did a tune with Flux Pavilion, did a few bits with Schism. Schism had just decided he was going to start Never Say Die Records. Nice. So done a couple of bits with him, and then... Um, no Holds Barred. Yeah, so it was, it was... Yeah, No Holds Barred, and then there was a track with... Um, he did a re- on the on the Begatron remix album. He did a remix to get a bit more, and then there's a track called Jump Back with him and Flux Pavilion that came a bit later. So it's just quite. It was just interesting because like all of the tracks that we'd done in the dubstep world just fucking went bang, 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 bang. Amazing man. So that was interesting. And co- yeah, co- and then new so space, that kind of opened up. Well. Whole, yeah, yeah. So like that was blo- that that kind of shit was happening. And then after I had like an immigration par in 2000. And, 2010 mm-hmm. and I had to leave the country so I kind of decided to stay in Holland with Noisier as opposed to coming back to Dubai and having to fly back and forth yeah. so I stayed with them for a while and that's when Skrillex moved in to the house because he came to do an album with them so basically I moved in and he, we literally both arrived on the same day wow. and we were living in Walter's house so we just became friends then we did a track for the album that he did with Noisier that got shelved and then um, I introduced him to a few people like like Schism, like Flux Pavilion, Bear Noise, just a bunch of other UK people that I hell. knew. And then, yeah. So then after that, when when I when I left, I'd come back to Dubai, and he'd made this tune because there was a there was a big fucking back and forth about the album that he'd done with Noisier, which actually has been shelved. It's not going to come out. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. So then. He had that Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites EP that he was working on on the side. And he hit me with the, the track that he'd done for Bear Noise. Done that, and then that was Scatter, and that came out. And then I think that's when the whole of America just went, Wicked. for the whole dubstep thing. Wicked. And then I think that started a new divide in the dubstep scene where all the dubstep... The dubstep, oh, you know, people into the into the into the dubstep dubstep sound were going. This ain't fucking dubstep. Yep. Fuck this. What this? Fuck you, foreign beggars. Fuck <laughs> off. Their turn to say it. Told yep. to fuck off again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The new whole new selection of heads telling us to fuck off. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Just being an artist, just jokes, man. Though, man. I'm just being a fucking artist. Yeah, just you know saying it's so good. It's so good. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, so that happened, and then I think towards the yeah. So how long were you out there while for? That was going on. Um, I was I was there for six months and I moved to Berlin for three months and then finally I was allowed to come back to, to the UK on an artist visa so came back Wicked. but when I was in Berlin we worked on another EP it's crazy man if you look at that EP like it's got Laser Sword on it it's got Mensa New York Transit Authority on it Black Sun Empire uh, Skrillex joint yeah man it's quite a sick little, little EP um, but then 
we also did, then that was the point that we'd done the, yeah, fuck it, whatever. We'll just come back, come back, whatever. So then I moved back to London in 2011. Yeah. Fucking hell, man. What a mental journey up to that point. Yeah, bro. And, crazy, uh, crazy. And still holding it down whilst being abroad as well, like being away from the patch. Yeah. What did that do to the crew yeah, you being but... away? Was it, was it not too much of a problem? It was a... Bro, it was a bit difficult, but like just before we before it happened, I'd brought a friend on to start managing because I was managing everything myself until until about two thousand and eight, okay. two thousand and nine. So <clears throat> I brought a friend on to start managing stuff. So when it happened, I had I actually had somebody on the ground who was handling business really, and really. all of that stuff and having conversations with me and kind of being upfront and present. You yeah, know? good. Um, I mean, it was a bit difficult, but yeah, fuck it. Do you know what I mean? Well, you did we, have to be we done. just but this. Yeah, but at the same time, the fact that I was, I had, we couldn't tour in the UK, mm. it just meant that we had to like up our European shit. So, just managed. To, we just just spent the whole year just murking Europe instead of the UK, which which in turn just opened a whole bunch of other doors. And if I didn't, if I, that didn't happen, then I wouldn't have met Skrillex, and we wouldn't have done that tune. And you know what I mean? Like all of these other things wouldn't have happened. You know? So it's just I, for me, as much as something is fucked up, it's like, bro. Unless I'm locked down in prison, mm. yeah, or I'm fucking like on that fucking fully gurney, de- debilitated. You know what I mean? I'm, uh, you know, there's there's shit that can happen. Yeah, you know what I mean? Go. Like there's people everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, that, back to the culture, like, being part of this thing yeah. where you, you can be anywhere and you can find another part of it. And now it's now, and now especially, bro. Like you know what I mean? Like motherfuckers are inside on the internet the whole time. Nobody knows where anybody is. Yeah. So it's like. You know, I'm making, you know, you know, you can literally be anywhere but be a part of any scene from anywhere yeah. now, which is a beautiful thing, yeah, you know? definitely, man. The reaching out. I mean, I think what, what you can also do, though, is hide behind a computer and not actually do the work, uh, which I think is a bit of a problem nowadays. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, that'll yeah. all figure itself out. That'll all figure itself out. That'll do its thing. So then coming back to the UK and cracking on, what was... Yeah. I mean, like, what was the... Was it still the mix of music? Was that still the aim? Yeah, it was just, just basically being musicians. Yeah, it was just basically it was just yeah, it was just touring full time. So like I was fully when I come back, I was fully on an artist visa. Mm. Our agent. So when I was away, our agent dropped us. So we signed with Tom Dodd, okay. who had like an independent artist agency. He's the head of Red Bull now, yeah. but he had this thing called Plat, Plat du Jour, and he had like Silky, Elijah Skilliam, wow. us, and a few other sick artists. Uh-huh. A few other sick artists on his books. And so I just spoke to him and I knew, I'd known him from about 2004, 2005 when he booked us and like he'd taken us on. So he was a really sick agent really? and then we started doing lots of stuff with him. Then he got poached by Elastic. So when we came back, I was, you know, we had a good agent on board and it was just bang, full, full-time action, music, music, music. And we'd been recording with Noisier for a couple of years, wanted to put an album out with them. Yeah. And basically they kept, they kept delaying it. So we were like, all right, cool. It's been four years and we haven't put a, put a fucking album out. We need to do something. So that was when the guys from Mousetrap, Dead Masters label, just said, yeah, why don't you do an EP? Started an EP, which turned into an album. So signing to Mousetrap was a sick thing at the time because I think there was, it was, I would think that was like one of the hottest electronic music labels in the world. I mean, come on. So for us, yeah. just, to, just, just, just signing to them, like our fees tripled. Wow. Like, and we got like that year. Yeah. And that year we'd had like, there was a point where we had like 80 shows booked oh before. Eight, 80 shows like already booked for like across the year, which was fucking, yeah. that, was a, that was a good year. Yeah. That was a good year. Blatantly. Yeah. Fuck it. How did they find you? So just fuck. 
Uh, just kind of, just by talk, just basically, so it was through there. Skrillex. Yeah. Nah, it's because it's basically Skrill, when I was with him, he was, he was, he was friends with Dead Mouse and all of them lot. So like when he dropped his Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites, he dropped that on Dead Mouse's label and oh. we had the track on, that Scatter track was yeah, on yeah, that, yeah, won okay. that, that, that EP that won a Grammy. So like when that, so it's through that we were on their radar the whole time and so basically, like the the hot tracks on that EP were obviously his, but then it was noisier yeah. and us collabing on that. Yeah. And we'd already done, you know, contact had already the contact record had already come out, and that was fucking doing bits. Yeah. So yeah, to have another, you know, super high viz EP with Foreign Beggars and Noisy on Dead Mouse's label, we were going to do a Foreign Beggars Noisy album on the label anyway. Mm. You know, so they just said, yeah, fuck it, just do it. So that's how that transpired. And then as time goes on, like you're coming up towards. You know, the middle of the last decade, middle to late last yeah. decade. What are you thinking about beggars? Like, and because well, basically, how did, how does it start we were, panning out? We were, we we started having some hard times actually because it was kind of a. I think this. I think that was probably after that mousetrap out after that mouse after that mousetrap and after the dubstep stuff. Mm. Just because we were getting so much work in that field and putting out bangers, like I think. Ebo didn't really Ebo didn't really connect with that music right. much at all, you know. Yeah. So suddenly to be in a situation where we've got to deliver that kind of, sh- or people are expecting us to deliver deliver that kind of shit, we didn't really necessarily be like, oh, we got to do this, we got to do this. Yeah, it was yeah, just people yeah. were hitting us with fucking bangers. We were like, this is a no brainer. But um, but just kind of the amount of touring that we, I think that year, I think it was like 2012 or 2013. I think we done one year, we done about 120 shows that Fuck. year, and. Yeah, and also the thing is, Ebo, he just had a baby recently before that. Yeah. And it was quite quite a few things kind of started to take it take its toll a bit around then. So, I mean, we were, we were going full speed. By, 2000, by the end of 2013, we dropped the I Am Legion album, uh-huh. finally came out. We did that, independ- did that independently, so that was a lot of work. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of... It was, yeah, and then, you know, we took that on tour. It was pretty monumental, but by the end of that, it was like... Man, them were tired, bro. You know, so I think it was that point where kind of Ebo kind of he just wasn't feeling this, you know, wasn't really feeling the synergy so much. Yeah. So kind of just we kind of just decided to take some time, live life, and then a little bit later, his mum passed away as well. Oh, so do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like there's, I mean, there's, it's, you know, we've been in a band for what by this time, what it's been what eleven yeah. years, yeah, yeah, like solid, non non-stop, you know, just fucking action, action, action. And, uh, you know, so just kind of just refining ourselves. So it got to a point where it was like when we were writing and we were just writing, writing so much and just writing so many different bits of like electronic music where we weren't fully lyrically going in there. It just felt like it got to a point for both of us, which we, we didn't even know what the fuck to write about anymore. And it just felt like we were almost regurgitating. So yeah. we just decided to take a step back, chill you know, kind of like refined our foot in, you know, we went to, we decided we, we, we'd started a project with Alex Perez. Um, oh, yeah. We were going to do an album with Alex. Yeah. We were going to do an album with Alex, but because the noisier shit was to, basically every time we were going to drop that, the noisier stuff was looking like it was going to come out and then it would get delayed. So that got pissed about. So then we decided, fuck it, you know, like, let's just go to like, let's just, let's just get out of London. Let's go to LA. We got connects there. We got Red Bull studios. Let's just go there just three of us set up studio and write an album and then bring Eprom in. Um, we wrote a bunch of tracks there that didn't necessarily transpire into an album, but that became the Modus EP that dropped in 2014. Amazing. And then... Uh, that's some good foresight. Yeah, it was cool. Man. It was sick. And then, yeah, man. And then fucking Eprom. And then that's when Eprom and Alex really met each other and gelled. And that's when the shade, the whole Shades thing started uh-huh. from that fucking little trip that 
trip that we'd done. But um, oh, that sounds bad. yeah. So basically, kind of like it was just after 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 that, you know, and after having kind of taken some time and space, we kind of just decided that we really wanted to do something a bit more musical and kind of get back to the roots. And that's when we made that's when the Tutu Karma idea started. And then, so if you listen to Tutu Karma, it's a lot more lamenting. It's a lot. There's a lot of pain on that album. Yeah. There's a lot of vibes, but there's a lot of pain, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. we. No, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, there's. I mean, as much, as much as like running around, living a fucking wavy, crazy life. There's a whole bunch of other shit that kind of gets neglected mm. as well, you know. So, kind of just kind of reattaching ourselves to, you know, kind of just getting a bit more centered. I need to listen to that album again, man. A, I remember when it came out. I did enjoy it. Scorsese's yeah, on man. it, isn't he? Scores is on there, bro. He was supposed to be on Asylum Speakers, bruv. Fucking hell, and you got so, him all those years yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, bro. I love Scores. I was, yeah, it was mad. I was just... Yeah, so that was a really... That's a, for me, personally, that's a really important collab because Scores was a big influence in terms of, you know, just as an artist and also how to do... You know, how to really put the fucking smack down in a live, in a live setting. And did that make um, um, Ebo feel better? Did he feel more Yeah, definitely. I think album? we definitely... Yeah, I think we definitely we definitely connected a lot more. It was nice to be in the studio working on stuff. Yeah. You know, we, there was definitely a lot more kind of synergy and there was, we, we definitely felt a lot more connected and, you know, and, like, back on track nice. making that album and it felt quite special and, like, you know, they had a lot of creative, in, you know, input as opposed to me going, yeah, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, mm, you know? Mm. So, yeah, it was like... It was another, like, a really shared experience, like, Straight Point Agenda was... Yeah. Amazing. Um, and so... Yeah, so that was cool. That was 18. Yeah. So then... Yeah. When did you realise that you might have to go? Like, did you know before the Matriarchy well, album or...? Yeah. No, basically, I, I, if, if that... So basically, I'd been in London for... This is after coming back in 2011 yeah. on an artist visa. Yeah. I live in it. I've been living there for about seven years... And so basically, if you have an A-rated sponsor, you can live there for a year at a time. Uh-huh. Now, they've got this one clause that says you need to show a, a contracted UK appearance every two weeks. Right. But if you got an A-rated sponsor, you don't necessarily need to show that. Just show whatever you're doing. It's fine. But then, uh, so then I got to about seven years in, come back to, and I'd, I'd applied for a visa. Didn't have that many UK shows, but they rejected my application on that oh, basis. So they kind of kicked that in. And I feel, I, I partly feel like, because the thing is, if I'd been there for 10 years and they'd have to give me indefinite leave to remain because I could show that I was there for 10 years. So I'd kind of feel like, you know, they clicked that in at a point where it was like, it was looking like it. But I'm, I'm not saying anything well, about whatever yeah, that is. Do, anyway, yeah. so, so, so from that point, since 2007, I've been back in bitch mode. I mean, sorry, in 2018, yeah. where I've, I've been, no, 2017, 18, I've been back in bitch mode whereby... Because, like, I've, you know, I can only be in the UK for the amount of time I've got shows there. So maybe that's one month, maybe that's two months or three months. I don't have a three-month validity on my visa, so that means I have to come back to Dubai. <sighs> I, had to be- I had to become regularised over here, so I had to get a company to hire me, give me a salary and pay it back. So I look like I'm all regular on paper. Yeah. And then apply for my visas from here. Jesus. So it's just been, it's just been a bitch, man. So it's like coming back, having to fly back here, take fucking two, three weeks out of touring... You know, it's it's been difficult. So yeah. kind of like with all of these difficulties, having put the Tutu Karma album out, you know, we spent a lot of money on that album. Yeah. You know, I think probably like, you know, so like we got an advance, about 35 bags for that. Yeah. And then we, you know, we had stuff that, you know, money that we'd saved up from touring and yeah. 
shit that we'd put together and our publishing comp, you know, our publishing, put all of that stuff in. Wow. But usually when we put an album out, you know, we get one or two syncs off the back of it, you know, mm. so some money comes back quickly, but we didn't get any syncs off that album. So it kind of plunged us into an even deeper financial hole. Ooh. So kind of being in, yeah, so being in a situation for most of 2018, 2019, still being out on the road doing shows, shows and that, but we weren't getting any salaries. Yeah. So it was like, you know, having to do like mad side hustles and shit whilst recording, whilst being on tour again, yeah. suddenly at this age was a bit of like a fucking hell. So, yeah. But you put that like... Yeah, it's bad, it's mad. That, I mean, that's super stressful, but how come you managed to put together Matriarchy? You just... Just because, I mean, like, well, after, after Tutu Karma was done, it was coming out and like... With the music industry, you have to think 18 months ahead, you know? Yeah. So, like, even that, as soon as, as soon as Tutu Karma was done and out, we were like, all right, cool, what's the next release? We can't, we can't be slipping up, you know? So no matter what, it didn't matter what was going to happen, can't... you just had to continue. Yeah, yeah, you've got, you've got to continue, you know? So, you know, so basically, we came up with a strategy for, so for the next year, after we put an album out, for the next year, we were just going to release, like, four big bangers over the course of the year, like, four big singles, like, a, you know, like a collab with someone like... You know, like a big collab with someone like Gorgon City, yeah. or do a big do a big grime tune, or do you know just whatever the yeah, fuck yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, like just like just four four big heaters that's gonna get rinsed out in the club so that the agent can be booking us everywhere. Mm. You know, um, but then so while that was happening, I had all of these these Seymour beats, and I was just I, I wanted there's a bunch of people I wanted to work with, but on like you know, but they're like soul artists and things like that. So I just started working on it, and I said fuck it, let's just drop a little Kanye style seven seven track album. Yeah. But then, you know, because we could just, I could just shit that out easy, yeah, you know. Fun. So um, I say shit that out easy, but you know, just because I could see what I would want to do. But yeah, then, yeah um, it's not literally. For again, that. that kind of like after, basically after all of this shit and the way everything was going, it was just, and also the sound of matriarchy isn't. Ebo's on a completely different musical flex, yeah. a musical journey at the moment, and he's kind of when he's after Tutu Karma, he said like, right, I want the space to do my own shit and really dig in and explore and produce and make some of my own work rather than, you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Foreign Beggars is very, it's a compromise for both of yeah, us. Yeah. You know, we both, both meet, meet in the middle. So he really wanted some time and space to do his own thing. But then, you know, so those four big singles, the do them singles over the course of the year would buy him the space, but we didn't end up doing those. But then the matriarchy was there. So like he was, you know, so basically what I did for that one, I, I, that was kind of around a point when he was just like, he put his hands up and he was like, look, I can't do this anymore. So... Right. I think we should just call it call it a day. Yeah. But then I was like, mm. I was like, well, you know, I don't really want to call it a day. You know, I mean, this has been my dream, this has been my baby. So, but then it kind of like it kind of just seemed like, you know what, fuck it. I, I've almost by doing foreign beggars and having the full satisfaction of everything I've done there, I've kind of deferred being a solo artist and really fully That's a good delving point. into what I wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? So. I just thought, like, all right, cool. I, I, I should probably do that and just fucking take this challenge if I'm going to wow. do it, you know? So, yeah. So, basically, I knew, I mean, by, you know, so we set that, we just made that decision about fucking, what, in about April last year. Wow. But then we decided that we're going we're gonna to tour till the end of the year. Yeah. But then I, the, matri like the Matriarchy album, I'd already started that. I, already, I was already about six tracks deep. And I was like, look, this is some beautiful shit. Yeah. I want to put it out. So I just kept on making it till I got an album. Um, you know, convinced Evo to be on board for the album. Brilliant. You know, just made, made it as simple as possible for him. So he didn't really have to, you know, I was like, look, you know, by that point, he'd already decided that he kind of resigned, resigned to the fact that we're not going to be in a group. So that was a lot of, 
you know, like tension off of him so that he had the space to be able to do his yeah. thing. So he was cool to, you know, kind of collaborate, you know, do the, do the bits for the album. So, yeah, so basically I was like, the, you know, it, it kind of started like as a, as a deeper hip hop thing. And then all of this breakup shit happened and a few other life things. So I kind of just, it was just an opportunity for me to just put my heart out on the album and just make some deep rap shit again. It's fucking sick, bro. Safe, I really Cheers. fucking love it. Yeah, it's nice. Those beats, man, fucking just... Like, some of those beats have been sitting on my computer for nine years. Imagine what? that. You wouldn't tell. You couldn't tell. Yeah. Yeah, so Toby Toby, Toby and Ed, like, they, they, they started that little Seymour project as a little side flex. And, uh, yeah, man, so, like, those beats... Some of them beats have been there for about eight, nine years, man, especially the one with Sonny Jim and Lee Scott on it. Oh, mate, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. You've also got some fucking... It's a killer lineup of uh, features as well. Yeah, man, it's nice. It's nice because it's a whole bunch of people that we hadn't worked with. You know what I mean? For me, for me personally, to get Jest and Black Twang on a track together, Bro, I was just like, when I first heard you know, that, I was just like, you kidding I'm, I'm, me? Yeah, I'm like, so for me, I'm just like fan. I'm fucking fanboying on that tune. So, yeah. do you know what I mean? So if there's a fan of fan of the you know the scene, I mean, like you know, that's a, that's a nice little gift to them. So there's loads of those moments over the over the album. So I felt and to work with Green Tea Peng. Mm who's a new artist and just such a fucking special person. Like, yeah, I just had to just drop one last one before we dipped, you know what I mean? And how, I mean, like, was it emotional? Yeah, of course, man. Like, it's, there's, I'm talking about, so this, like, basically it's like, yeah, there's, I'm talking about love on there. I'm talking about addiction. There's, yeah, there's a, you know, there's like relationships that have fallen apart because of those things. And yeah, there's, yeah, kind of, just kind of wanted to tap into like actually just like really dealing with rather than skirting around issues see for me like one problem i've had over the last like with the shit that i do after asylum speakers is that like especially once there's visibility i can't really be talking too much i can talk shit but i have to do it in a slightly cryptic intelligent way as opposed to being like i can't make a record like loki can make a record I or i can't make a yeah. record like riz ahmed can make a record because i have a fucking indian passport yeah. do you know what i'm yeah. saying you know what I mean? They've got British passport. That's a different level of immunity yeah. that they have, yeah. you know? So for me, you know, I, I can talk about a lot of those issues and a lot of those issues are really close to home, but I have to do it in the more, like, techers way, very, you know? Very, like, yeah. But for this album, you know, but for this album, I wasn't like... I was like, look, let me just... I, I, think, I don't think it was... Because with hip-hop as well, you know, like, you can... It's very much putting on a persona, especially the era of rap that we're from, you know what I mean? It's pure fucking bravado misogyny clashy kind of big man culture you yeah, know so yeah. like i just wanted to do a thing because there's also like a point where we were doing a lot of you know just like you know having to regurgitate so much music i felt like there was points where maybe we you know like there wasn't i felt like me myself personally i felt there may have, there wasn't so much that you know you lose a little bit of authenticity authenticity in the message because you're not speaking about shit that's really close to home and close to your heart just talking about surface shit. So I wanted to, yeah, so kind of like those took beats advantage. just kind of pulled it out of me, yeah, really. Yeah, the beats took it out of you. Yeah, man, you just, just like... Yeah. You took advantage of that position. Yeah. Like, I've done this. I've, 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 yeah. I've said those words. It's time to move on. Yeah. Fucking hell. And so... Yeah, so... The, the ending with them, the ending with the guys and the fact that this was going to be the final piece, that must have been quite yeah. a mad experience. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's been pretty mad. But I think, like, you know, I mean, for me, I don't. I, I just, I, I kind of like don't get. I don't delve too much into emotional shit. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm quite, 
quite sensitive. So as soon as I start opening that door, the floodgates will open. You know I hear what I'm you. Saying? So yeah, I'm sorry. like, just better keep that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that sh- keep that shit like wrapped up, and then just move on to the next thing. Yeah, you know that can I mean? stay so, just there. That, thanks uh, for that, D. Yeah, cheers, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so since you've got back to Dubai. Um, yeah. What's been? I mean, has it been nice? Has it been like, oh, I'm home. Like, let me have a think. Bro, base, base. I mean, when I, for this last stretch that I was in London, like I was there for three months. I had to drop the album. Yeah. Had to shoot all the videos for the album, and I've got my new shit, which I'm preparing. And a new shit, it takes a. It's, it's kind of like you're gonna see. You'll see what happens. Like, like it's it's all about unfolding the next couple of weeks. But it's not very. It's not simple. There's a lot more work that goes into these releases and this presentation. So you'll see that when it comes. But um, so I've been having. I was preparing all of that stuff. Um, yeah, it's just been it's just been pretty non-stop. I didn't really get to think about shit until I moved back here. I'm back in my fucking parents' house again. Like, feel like I'm back to square one. It's cool. It's interesting because. I feel like I'm ready for a new era, but like I'm kind of the room I'm in at home is like this is like a guest room. I don't even I've, all my shit is just like stacked up, like yeah. ready to go somewhere else. You know, Bro, so, I tell you what though, man. But I, I think it it just like I think it's a brilliant. I mean, looking from the outside, I'm not sitting there with you now back at a parent's house, but yeah, from the outside, you look at this thing, you're like fucking hell. What's next? That was immense. Those, those yeah. twenty years were fucking crazy. Yeah, it's mad. Bro, you done so much. And you did so much yeah, that's pretty... under mental circumstances. That's... Like, I didn't know anything about this visa shit. I thought you were living yeah. in London doing your thing since the beginning. Nah, bro. Nah, bro. Look what you did by not <laughs> living here. Like, amazing. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, fuck age, fuck all of that type of shit. The point is, it's just like, oh, I'm just going to sit down for a bit here. Let me just figure this shit out. Yeah, it's comfortable. It's cool, man. Yeah. I got, I got, I got, I built a studio. I built, built a little fucking vocal booth in my room. I got my fucking computer. I got my mic. I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, wait, and you got it's and good. everything, everything you built up around it over the years, like all these connections, yeah, all these man. people. Basically, you know. I almost feel like I almost feel like I feel I feel okay because like I found I'm I'm lucky that you know when Ebo just said that, you know, he was like, right, I really want to do my own thing. And like that, you know, the end was nigh, as it were, yeah, yeah, about yeah. a year ago. Yeah. I was like, you know, because I could have done any, I mean, I could have done, I could go do like a boom bap album. I could yeah. do a grime album. I could do some pop shit. I could do like an EDM thing. But then it kind of, it's something, basically it clicked in my head as to what I wanted to do. And I've been working on that. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's, I haven't hasn't lost any steam. It's just been opening up more and more and more and more. And like I find like with foreign beggars coming to a close, me having to leave the country, you know, me coming back here, and you know, like India's right there. Rap scene, rap music's blown up in India. Yep. I'm kind of like letting in, letting letting off about what I'm going to do next. But I think the way that everything's converged, everything is just making a lot of sense. And I just feel like almost feel like everything I've learned and everything I've done has just been practice for what's about to come next. Bro, I just got the maddest fucking goosebumps up my arm and shiver up my spine. Like, that sounds absolutely amazing. That That's really sick. fucking... Yes. Like, that really just went right through me. Like, right through me. Like, yeah. I think this is... An ama- I'm glad to have caught you now, to be honest. I'm glad you're not, you're not sitting yeah, in my studio like I presumed it was going to be. Um, and yeah. I know it's hard what you're going through and what you've gone through. 
I know what it's like. I'm, I'm a very emotional person, and I talk about that shit all the time. I'm all about therapy. I'm all about opening up. So I'm going to presume a thing off yeah. too about about how you're feeling right now, and I hear you. But I'm also can hear this amazing, optimistic, like fun, eyes open, like fuck. Look at the world. It's in front of me again. Like, let me go. Yeah, I'm gassed. Yeah. I'm gassed. I'm gassed. And it's also interesting because it's like, uh, like I'm in a. I don't. You know, I don't have to convince anybody no, of any shit. No. Now, you know, what I mean, I don't have to get everybody on board and kind of compromise. This is just fucking no holes barred. No. Like it's it's all. Yeah. It's all. Mate, I fucking I love this shit, man. This is safe. I love it because it it's. And look, I'm not going to... I'll be honest, and I think anyone who listens to this podcast knows I always try and... I always find something in it that associates to me. Whether it's big-headed or not, this interview ain't about me, but... So, for me personally, I've just turned 40, and this year, and I've been talking about in the other podcast, like, last year I started producing artwork again. Although I'm in the art world and have been for nearly 20 years, I started producing my own artwork again, and I'm now... It's it's got nothing to do with graph, it's got nothing to do with anything I've ever done before, it's my new... It's new, it feels fresh, and I feel very happy... Painting it, and it's like yeah, you feel you feel connected. Yeah, to and I'm just like nothing else matters really. Like none of the judgments or the preconceptions yeah, or yeah, anything. Yeah. I'm literally an artist now, and you know, and I, yeah, it's a new world. A new world is about yeah, to yeah, open yeah. up. In and front obviously, of you, we're not turning our back on the culture. It isn't the point. That isn't. Yeah. It's but you can also move on and completely love it, but still keep moving and developing and use all the tools we we learnt in it. You know, to, to keep developing. I'm really excited for this next stage, Pete. But so, uh, bruv, I'm actually I'm gonna give you a little sneak peek. I'm gonna send you. Something oh, please do, please do. Yeah, man. Please do. Um, oh, look, there's a little link's just come through right now. Oh, I'm gonna grab that in a second. Well, listen, brother. Um, it was a fucking yeah, was an deep, absolute man. pleasure to talk to you, and I really appreciate your time. I've never done an interview with someone abroad, so I'm glad I've done it with you. Screw, screw. Yeah. For beggars, we For out beggars, here. we're properly Shit. out there. Listen, uh, fucking dope. <laughs> I just want to say though, it's, it's fucking for me. It's deep to you know be interviewed by you and be in a company of all the other interviews that are on the fucking page, man. Because there's oh, some dons there. Appreciate that, like, man. A lot of people who there's a lot of people who've, whose work, you know what I mean. I wouldn't be here doing my work without the shit that they laid out. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. No, you're yeah, right. There are people out there. Like that. Yeah, I feel honoured. Wicked. Well, P, good luck, brother. I'm fucking really looking forward to the next day. And I'll catch you in a bit. See. That was dope, eh? Big up, Pavan. What a story. I loved it. And his energy. Jesus, man, that's infective. There's a lot in place for him, you know. Good education, business degrees. Well, on his way to a business degree. And, you know, connections with one of the richest countries in the world. But culture had him. And it had him from the start. And it was great to hear that his parents nurtured that. He searched and experienced as much as he could. And then he gave it all he could in pursuing his dreams. What a journey. And now, back in Dubai, you heard small bits about his future plans. And he's such a nice guy, he sent me his new video. This guy is creation. You ain't ready, but get ready. Again, art wins, our culture is strong. Use it positively. And until next time, love your city and love your culture. This is F24.